just need to be more resilient. We'll get there in the end attitude. I can do that for other people really easily. For my own business, sometimes that's really hard. I'm not taking people's money if I can't do some kind of magic for them. Today on The Engaging Marketeer, I am interviewing Emma Shaw, who runs the Rebel Yell Club, which helps businesses be better at what it is that they do. Emma was inspired to set up the Rebel Yell Club by a message that she doesn't know where it came from. Uh, Was it from the beyond? Was it from a higher power? Was it from the universe? Let's find out as we talk to Emma about why she does what she does and who she does it for. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you. What? What? Let, let's do that. That's that's why we're here, after all. That's why we're here. It's not all about me. Light on me. Um, mostly it's about me. But let's talk about you as well. So why do you you do what you do? Why? That is a good question. Yeah, that's why I, I asked do. it. You see, this isn't my first board game. <laughs> You've done this before, haven't you, Darren? <laughs> yeah, a couple um, Why do I do it? Well, because I... I've come to terms with the fact that I am not a person that often stays within the lines of life, (laughs) the accepted status quo. And I've also come to terms with the fact that the world is starting to feel similar in lots of different capacities. So I think there's a lot of people out there who want to break out of the rules and restrictions, are fed up of being hemmed in, stifled, squashed by the usual rules and expectations that we've either created ourselves or that other people impose on us and I think that businesses are very much starting to feel that way as well and there are some amazing small businesses particularly out there who lead the way in terms of how to be different unique and harness something really special about them and I want to help them keep that and to help individuals who they authentically are as well. Hmm. You've said that before, I think. You've said that. I've said versions of it You've before. Said... Yeah. yeah. I that's, love that's that. That's quite a good version of it, though. Actually, I'm going to have to make notes on that one. I, I love that colouring outside the lines. Yeah. So I, I take it you yeah. you look probably to uh, work with people who are similar to you, who also colour outside the lines. In some ways, yeah. I think what's quite interesting about what I do. So if we talk about for example, Rebel Yell Club, which is the consumer side of what I do. And the usual thing about what's your client avatar, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Naturally, what I find is that the people who are attracted to what I do are very, very diverse in in all the ways possible. So actually, it's quite hard for me to design a client avatar. There is a certain attitude about it. um, But a lot of the people I work with are not like me at all, which is brilliant for me because it's endlessly fascinating and I think you know when I work with small businesses as well there is there is a commonality around their ethics their principles their values the way they see the world how conscious they are about how they treat their people and lead their people but actually there is huge amounts of capacity for diversity within within that which I just absolutely love that's getting quite deep there. That's, that's, mm. that's far deeper than I usually. This quick. <laughs> it's far deeper than I usually go. So, what what sort of problems do do people and businesses have when they come to you? 
Uh, so there's there's a bit of a scale, really, a growth scale, I suppose. So the, the key really to what I do is helping small businesses to grow and scale without losing that magic that created the, the business in the first place. So there's that first stage where you've got small business owner um, founded a business with a great idea or, or, or a need to be free and break free from whatever their employment was usually and um, has built a really beautiful business with some great clients and realizes that they're maxed out as they've got no balance anymore they need to need to take people on in order to grow and that is a problem in itself that's a massive hurdle from a you know a practical perspective from a mindset perspective and a time challenge and all of those things so you've then got the people who after that have taken on people in some form or other but have now got the the all the pain that comes with dealing with other humans <laughs> that might be employees or associates or whatever they may be, um, or subcontractors. And I've also now got to create some sort of structure and rigor in their business that they've never had to do before because they've sort of winged it, really. Mm. Um, so there's all of that kind of stuff that they need to deal with. And there's a myriad of different issues that come with that. And one of the, the most tricky things is is actually cash flow, because that's a really unstable part of, of um, you know, stage to be at. You've then got the more advanced stage from that, which is I've got an established team. Everyone knows what they're doing, got some really good people. But actually, as a business owner or founder, I am disconnected from the original reason I started this business in the first place. And I may not be spending my time doing the things that really thrill me, um, that are in my zones of genius. Um, And I'm falling out of love with this business a little bit and need some marriage (laughs) counselling. So there's all of those, you know, that. Within those three stages, there's all sorts of complexity. Um, but generally speaking, it's the idea that people want their business to thrive and grow, but are coming up against blockers and hurdles and and lots of growing pains. Yeah, that, that first stage where you you change from you doing the business yourself to hiring people and it actually becoming a, a proper bona fide business with employees yeah. is always the most difficult. Mm-hmm. It's grown up stuff. It is grown up <laughs> stuff. Yeah, when because I mean, we we started that. I mean, we, we it was just me and Liam when we started, and we were working from home, and we were doing um, like seven in the morning till eight at night. But that that first point when we actually had to take on an employee, and we had to do things like paye and pension contributions and HR and contracts and company handbooks, all the legal requirements that. Mm-hmm you're just not aware of yeah. when you first start. And it's so easy to get something horribly wrong. Yes. Make a horrific mistake that, that could basically fold your business if, if you get it wrong. Yeah, that's it. And, they, you know, they, it's having the right people around you. You know, when we were talking before about referral circles, it's, you know, um, having a network of people who you know you can pull on for their expertise and their wisdom. And it's that networking bit so important because you don't, you know, you may, you can't necessarily employ a HR manager and a learning and development person and an employee engagement person and a payroll mm. manager and a da 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 da, you know, all of those things. So you, you need to have people that you can fall back on, you know. 
Yeah, that, that's a that's a fantastic point, actually. Most people, when they go to a, a networking meeting like a B&I, for example, I, I mentioned it again because I was there this morning and you were at one this morning, um, they go there because they want to get referrals into their business. They want to get more leads, more sales, more customers, more clients. Yeah. But the flip side of it is you're also there meeting people on a regular basis who can help you in your business. I mean, when, when we first started, we used a outsourced HR company that we uh, basically, I think, probably found them online. I won't say who they are. And they were all right. They, they, you know, they were fine. But they're very expensive, and they tied you into a very big contract, and they weren't that responsive or – I want to say they weren't as good as we needed them to be when we needed them. Uh, whereas if we were where we are now – we obviously network with people who do that. I know two or three HR experts off the top of my head who I could just ask if I had a problem and they would be able to advise me and help me. And we've got one company that we use that we met through a networking group that we've known them for a very long time and we know how they operate and, and we use them as, a, as an outsource HR. When you first, and you're being attacked by a fly. <laughs> when, we, when we first started, we didn't have that. You don't have that network. That's it. Uh, it's about surrounding yourself with the people who can best yeah. help you in your, your business and your, your, your journey when you make it. Totally. Um, I, I think of it as, you know, you've got to line your ducks up in a row before you need them. So I'm always looking for people where I think, well, actually, when my business gets to that stage, I might need that. Or if I have a, you know, a challenge with that at some point, I'm, I'm going to want to know that they're still in my, you know, on my radar. So I think that's really valuable as a small business. So when you, you work with a, a particular client, what sort of business are you looking for that you can help? Um, so really it's, um, it's, it's not niche down to an industry or sector or anything like that. It really is about what, you know, what stage they're at. I, I have in the past done a lot of work with corporates and still do a little bit here and there but the bigger companies are not massively where my um my best work is done because the poison's often set in already there's a certain <laughs> level of toxicity it's quite hard to undo unless there's really deep commitment on everybody's um, part so it's more about um an ethos it's more about a a willingness to really start to ask yourself as a leader um as a business you know what are the challenging questions i need to explore here to either change what's going on or keep the good stuff that's happening or all of those things um you know there are certain businesses that who or certain kinds of attitudes that i wouldn't work with because i'm not taking people's money if i can't do some kind of magic for them you know and mm. um, it's just not how I work and I I want to work with business owners who work who work do their business ethically with a certain set of principles and and you know that level of consciousness that's what's most important to me um that that's like oh yeah I completely agree with that I mean it, it's good that you know you you've identified that because some people don't they can be quite desperate for clients and they'll work with anybody because they they all have a fear of not getting the next client. And yeah. we've had that before. We, we've taken on clients we really shouldn't have. Yeah. 
and there was one not so long ago where there was a big red flag right in the first meeting I had with him where he mentioned how he, in the office, his staff know that he throws about things that are casually racist and they're okay with that. They accept it because that's the generation he's from. And right then I should have thought, no, I don't think you're right for me. Um, but they were a big company. So we kind of went, oh, well, it's a, it's a red flag, but let's see where it goes. And then we had a one of our other clients, we had his daughter here doing uh, graduate work experience for a month. And then this guy phoned up and she answered the phone and didn't immediately know who he was because she was basically on work experience. You know, she was like 19, 20 years old. And he really gave her a mouthful because she didn't know who he was. He thought, right, that's it. No, gone. Not having that at all. You know, no, that's that's that's, a, that's one of our favourite clients' daughter. You've just done that too for yeah, a start. Right. Any yeah, of our team, you do feel, that too. You know, protective about the people you work with. You know, there yeah. should be real partnership. But there's a lot mm. in there for me about boundaries, which is a thing that I end up talking about with people a lot, whether it's consumer stuff or or business related stuff. That having boundaries is one of the things that we do probably least effectively when we just go about our day-to-day life and that it's been really important for me from the start with this um rebel inspire business that I practice what I preach and drawing the line of who I will and won't deal with is definitely one of those principles because we can so easily if we just cross those boundaries a little bit or we haven't established them in the first place then we keep saying yes to the wrong things Mm. And as a result of saying yes to the wrong things, you end up saying no to the right things. And one of the most important things about setting boundaries is that you have to draw those lines in your mind first, because otherwise it's very, very difficult to be assertive about them with other people or other clients or mm. whatever the situation might be. And and how have you identified, uh, if, if you have yet, have you identified people who you don't want to work with? Yeah, Um, often it is the little red flags like the likes of you which you've just mentioned sometimes it's um, it's just a real close attitude to you know well I know what I should do but I'm probably not going to do it anyway Um, Mm. or you know quite a defeatist attitude maybe Um, there are also perhaps there are probably some companies out there who perhaps do do you know whatever their business activity might compromise my value set um there aren't many out there probably but i would say that you know if it's if it's things like you know immoral activities for example i'm not i mean i'm not by any means um closed off to some of the more rebellious stuff out there shall we say um but if it's harmful in some way you know if what they're producing or or the service they're they're giving is in some way harmful to people then that would be an issue for me but but i'm also really open-minded with a a lot of the things that perhaps others think are harmful so Mm. yeah we we've taken on some clients with some odd services shall we say in the past um we we've written 
loads of product descriptions for a company selling adult sex toys, for example, uh -huh. uh, which really opened the minds of our editors who are having to edit that copy. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Emily didn't know most of that stuff existed until she started <laughs> editing it. Massively eye-opening. Yeah, but but equally, there's there's industries that I refuse to work yeah. in, and, and one of them's payday loans. I won't touch yes, something like that. Cause, that's the kind of thing I'm looking at. You've articulated yeah. that far better than I than I yeah. have. Yeah. So the you know the kind of adult stuff, I have no issues with that at all. But mm. the um, yeah, the, that kind the kind of stuff that preys on vulnerable people. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a particular company that I would never touch with a barge pole if they came to us, and I'm going to name them. That's do Bright it. Bright House. I would not touch them if they paid me a million pounds to do it, because yeah. their whole business model, I think, is basically preying on people who don't know better. So shocking! It's awful. It's like, hey, do you want to buy a four hundred pound TV, but you want to pay one thousand two hundred pounds for it? For two hundred and fifty years. Yeah. yeah. It's it's disgusting, quite frankly. It's disgusting, and I I think they should be forcibly taken out of business. And yeah. I'll openly say that. Um, but the the things that you know there aren't laws against is just hmm. unbelievable, isn't it? Really, are they, are they even still advertising? I can't remember seeing an advert for them for a while. Uh, I don't think they advertise on TV, but mm. they are still around. There's one in our town right. centre. And it's yeah. the way they, they don't even put the full price of the product on. They say, you know, this TV, it's only £12 per week. And, oh, ooh, I can afford that. Yeah, L look at the APR. Yeah, it's like 1,700% or whatever it is. It, it's, mm. You are being had. It's, it, it is quite literally daylight robbery, isn't it? Yeah, I mm. hate stuff like that. Yeah. But on the flip side... Who do you really like to work with? What sort of, not necessarily industries, but what sort of attitudes and mentalities and, and characteristics of people do you really like to work with? I love working with people who are leaders who are prepared to be vulnerable. So what I mean by that is not going into work and crying every day, although I do do a fair bit of that, to, to be honest. Um, I'm an emotional person. Um, but leaders who are prepared to look at themselves and, and say, I take responsibility for you know, the, myself and the way I impact other people. Um, I am not the one that has all the answers. I am prepared to make mistakes and I'm prepared to create a space where other people can make mistakes. Um, I love working with people who understand how deeply important it is to nurture your team and that that's what creates a, a sustainable, successful business. Um, I I end up working with quite a lot of spiritual people as well of all sorts of nature, um, ones who are really desperate to get some balance and because they want to spend more time with their family and they realise how important that is and that they're just you know struggling to to figure that out. Um, unusual, quirky folk. <coughs> off the beaten track and often those people are a little bit undercover because they don't always look that way on the surface so i i love i love kind of digging under the layers and figuring out who people are ah, so undercover weirdos 
Yes, totally, yeah. So they might yeah. be normal in public, but yeah. behind closed doors, like they have to turn the light hero. switch off nine times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love all that stuff. I think I probably know a few of those, to be honest with you. I think I probably know a few of those. Pass them my way. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will introduce them. So where did the name Rebel Yell Club come from? Um... <laughs> so this is this is an interesting um kooky story in itself. Uh so I was so my my business for sort of 6 years has been um very much about well it was very much about learning and development because that's been my career and and some coaching as well on the side and I realized I wanted to do more coaching and I spent some time about 3 years ago trying to figure out what that hook was for people. What's the thing that I really want to do to help people with? And, you know, who who am I serving? And I did some work on that. And from that came a course called, um, a programme called Recode Your Reality, which is still very much um, a product that I'm proud of. Um, and then, and I, I just, I wasn't quite hitting on it somehow. It just wasn't quite sparking what it needed to spark for me and I just I kind of let go of that for a while because I was chasing it and it was running away really fast from me because I you know was chasing it too hard and then one day I was sat in my living room and I um <laughs> I some people are going to roll their eyes at this I got an instruction <laughs> from from elsewhere um and that instruction was very specific and it said and it the likes of which i've never experienced before or since and it said um start a group called rebels and rule breakers (laughs) and i was like what that's just really weird and i genuinely had no idea what that was about but i did it anyway and i'm i very rarely do as i'm told which is why i'm now unmanageable um but I did do it and for some reason it just captured people's imagination I've now got over a thousand people in that group um that Facebook group and it became apparent to me within a couple of months of starting that that there was something really in this that people needed and wanted and that then created the membership Rebel Yale Club so I was able to sort of give people a coaching experience for a lot less money than I'd normally charge one-to-one um and then over time, it became apparent to me that I was being called back into the business world and that there were lots of small businesses and business owners out there who also wanted to be rebellious about how they do things. Perhaps don't think of it as rebellious, um, but that are competing in a world that is that honours the big blue chip corporate beast and that actually they don't need to be like that. Mm. I I have to delve further into that. Please do. Where do you think that instruction came from? Good question. So I am a spiritual person. I don't follow a faith of any kind, but I am fascinated by all faiths. Um, I have over my years on the planet discovered that I am a highly sensitive person, particularly from an empathic perspective. And I... I think at the time when that happened, I was allowing myself to just let that stuff come in. And I was starting to connect in a lot more. Um, So I don't necessarily have a particular name for it. You know, some people call it the universe. Some people call it God. Some people call it 
you know, our, our collective consciousness and anything, you know, any of those titles are fine for me. Um, but it, it, there's, a, you know, some kind of knowing that I've definitely become more aware of and more confident about as I've gone through time. And it, it massively helps me when I'm coaching people. So there, there are often things I know about people and I don't know how I know them or there are questions that I need that I'm compelled to ask them and I have no clue why and when they come out they sound to me they sound crazy and to the other person they you know there's the sort of wow how, how did you know to ask that question type response and usually my answer is I don't know but let's see what happens <laughs> <laughs> and it goes exactly where it needs to go <laughs> Have you obviously you can't breach any confidentiality? Have you got a, an example of the kind of strange question you were compelled to ask and, and how the answer affected? Oh, let me think of one. Um, oh, racking my brains now because there's all sorts of stuff. That often I I often get clues about people's childhood or people around them, so there might be. For example, things like, does your son do this or this, that or the other? You know, there might be, it, it is, you know, it might be a question about how they behave or how they interact in the world. And it'll always be a, how did you know that kind of response? Or they'll tell me something about themselves and I will just know that they were, an only child or they had a sibling that was older than them or that they they had an environment that created some sort of belief system for them that they've not spotted yet and they'll it, we won't even necessarily be talking about their childhood or their past or their personal history but there'll be just a clue in what they say that makes me think ah okay there's a there's a question coming into my head now that I need to ask them so it's yeah there's it's no, somebody said to me the other day or connected me um, with someone the other day and, and I think it might have been actually the, you that, that was the connection potentially where they said, um, I'd be warned, Emma has a habit of getting to your deepest, darkest secrets in a matter of minutes. Yes, that does ring from, that's familiar. Yeah. Yes, it was, it was me. And somebody introduced so, me to you with that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So being connected like that is, you know, that's kind of cool for me because, you know, it shows that I'm doing good work, but I know it can also freak people out. So I have to be very, very gentle with how I do it. And I have to almost seek unconscious permission to do it. Mm. <clears throat> Sometimes, you know, direct permission to go there with people, particularly if we've not entered into a, you know, a, a consensual coaching conversation. Um, so, yeah, I do have to be quite careful. And sometimes I know there's things I have to hold back for another time because they're not ready to hear stuff yet or they're not ready to break that seal yet. Is, is this a sort of um, a skill that you've developed that is used in other forms of your life as well? Probably all forms of my life, yeah. But I have to be really careful with it because, again, you know, I've also learned that some people don't want to they don't want to be coached. They don't want to be seen, you know, in that, you know, that vulnerably at that moment in time. So 
and, and I've learned that in my whole career, actually, you know, even my previously learning and development career, that not everybody's ready for what I want them to be ready for in mm. terms of their personal development and their growth. Um, and I can't force them along that path quicker than they're ready to go because that pushes them completely in the wrong direction. So it's very much that people need to be ready to accept it. They need to be ready to, to make changes in their, their yeah. life or their business. It's no good if somebody is just coming in all resistant and, and won't accept it. Yeah. yeah. And I have to be very intuitive about the layers that I give to them, you know, and the amount of time it takes to for them to be ready to, you know, peel those layers off really. So why why did you start along this this path? The rebel bit or the coaching bit? Or the whole the... the whole starting with the coaching bit. I mean, what 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 prompted you to go down this route to to basically look at people and go, I want to make things better for you. I think it was a long time coming. I think it's probably been my whole life. I remember being at school and and observing the people around me and thinking, why do you behave that way? Um, and why? do you act differently than I do? And then I I worked in contact centres, well, worked for O2 for a long time, and I ended up then getting into a um, learning and development role. And I found that whilst I was doing lots of different training, like, you know, induction training, tariff training, product and service stuff, you know, all that kind of thing, the stuff that really, really worked for me was the behavioural elements and the mindset elements and I then began to discover that I naturally had this ability to coach. So, you know, I've done a lot of the usual coaching type training and qualification type stuff, but actually none of it really has given me the skill set that I use now. Um, and I, I learned that I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a very intuitive coach. I go where it feels I need to go rather than following a model. Um, and that works for me every time. And I've collected lots of the pieces of the toolkit along the way. But everything I've ever done has a coaching element to it or, or a, you know, a, a sort of blend of facilitation with coaching. And I, I just I get the deepest sense of joy from doing that. And I think the the thing that lights me up most is when. I can create a space for someone to safely explore who they are and to unlock the things that they've got inside them that they never knew they had or they never had the courage to look at, you know, right in the eye. That makes me feel so incredibly joyful that it sometimes makes me cry. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing to see. It's a massive privilege. So like, you enjoy what you do then? Oh, I do. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm exactly where I need to be when I'm in those moments. Yeah. Mm, that that that's pretty much what I was I was going to ask. You know, is is there anything that you think you you should be doing other than what you're doing now, or anything that you would rather do, or perhaps you felt I could have gone into this, but you're you're where you need to be. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, that old question of if you, if money was no object, what would you be doing? And I I kind of sat there and thought, well, I I'd probably still be doing. A version of what I'm doing in it just you know it might just be different kinds of people maybe I'd go and work with young people more or you know that kind of thing but 
I, you know, I know I've been given a set of gifts and talents for a reason. And, uh, you know, I've, it's taken me 40 years to find the current version of that or for 40 plus years to find the current version of that. But I feel really glad that I have. Um, and because I've been on the planet for that amount of time, it's meant that I'm better at it than I would have been 10, 20 years ago. Mm. Is there anyone that you has helped coach or mentor you that you, you look up to? All the time. I, I, I always say I never trust a coach that doesn't have a coach or isn't at least in between coaches. Um, so I have a network of people. I have some, you know, some of those relationships are formal and some of them are just great people that I have in my inner circle. Um, so I have um, a lady called Bex McNeil who helps me from a strategic perspective and also gives me a kick up the bum whenever I need it. Um, and she's a great technical whiz as well. And she's she's definitely a rebel and, and lives outside the lines. Um, I have a guy who um, is a an informal mentor of mine and he's actually a financial director, but has this brilliant ability to um, be, you know, very much not the status quo when it comes to that kind of role. Um, gets me really thinking strategically about my business. There's another guy called Paul Harris, who I who is both a client and um, a business that I partner with. Um, and we mentor and coach each other. And um, and then there's, there's probably, um, you know, in that notable list, there's Lisa Ravens, who works with me on, on Rebel Inspire and is an amazing friend. And lots and lots and lots of other people beside that all have their own different sets of skills and personalities that, you know, we all kind of support each other. Um, but I do also, you know, from time to time, employ formal coaches, depending on what, you know, what I've got going on at the time. So, you know, I definitely practice what I preach. Mm. <laughs> that's incredibly important to me. No, that, that, that that's good. And I think everybody should pay attention to that because um, you can't trust a coach that doesn't have a coach or doesn't believe in coaching. Mm-hmm. So if they don't have a coach and they don't believe in coaching, then why should you trust a word that they actually say? Exactly. Yeah, there, there was a. I got into an argument online, which I do quite regularly. Funny enough. I got into an argument <laughs> with. Surprises me, Darren. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm such a timid, easygoing kind of guy. Um, there, there was a. It's basically a discussion on coaching in this marketing forum I was in. Uh, I think it was a Facebook group, and there was just one guy in there who was a business coach or called himself a business coach, mm-hmm. and he was on about how he doesn't have a coach. He doesn't need a coach. He's coaching other people, and it's like really you. You don't. You, what? And he was not having it. He was just double downing on the whole. You don't need a coach when you're as good as he is. Oh, for God's wow. sake! You know, even, even Richard Branson has coaches. You know, yeah, I mean, I would hope so. It, well, he does. I know he does. He does. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what level you're at. There's always someone that can teach you things that you don't know, can help you and guide you in the things that you need. It doesn't matter who you are or what level you're at. Everybody who tries to inspire others should have somebody that inspires them. That frightens me, that does, that there are people out there, and of course I know there are, but I try to ignore it. But it's, Mm. you know, I mean, when you're coaching other people, I certainly, every single person that I work with, or even, you know, you know, I have a lot of people that I informally coach in my life. um, I learn something from them every time. I often find I'm sort of, I'm almost coaching myself, weirdly. But that, that doesn't ever replace the the magic you get from having somebody else give you clarity that you haven't got. 
you know, not being able to see the wood for the trees is so, as a business owner, even though I can do that for other people really easily for my own business. Sometimes that's really hard and I need other people to help me with that. And I'm more than happy to stand up and say, I am not perfect at running my business. Yes, I'm helping other people to run theirs and I do a flipping good job of that. But I need help too. Yeah, there's always someone further along than you or, or knows, has a secret that you don't know or unlock something you don't know. I mean, we help people with their marketing. We help people with online automated systems. I was hosting an event on uh, Tuesday for a company called Progressive Success, and there was a speaker on there called Jason James, um, who is a, a mentor, public speaker, business guy. And he did this two-hour keynote on the sales process. And there was one particular thing he said that I sort of already knew, but it just hadn't quite unlocked it in the way that I knew it. And it was like, oh my God, why aren't we doing that? I love those moments. It, you know, we've, we've got everything he's talking about. We've got it right there. We're just not doing this one thing. And it's right. We're going to start doing that immediately. And I, I started doing it that very day. It was just bang in your face, penny dropped. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jason. Obviously, thank you for that one. I'm having it. Love it. So you, you, you don't know who you are. You need it. You need it. Exactly. I mean, otherwise, you, you're just plodding along, doing the same thing you always do, getting the same results you always got, and nothing's changing. And then you're <laughs> yeah, trying to tell yeah, other people this is how it should be doing, and they're not growing because they're just basically going to make the same mistakes you make. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm being distracted because the dog's back. The dog's back. The Percy, dog's back. Wave to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's no wave. No, it's just yeah, wondering, he's not wondering, wondering where the biscuits are. Wondering where the biscuits are. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned status quo, not obviously the band. Um, status quo, <laughs> as in as in the Latin status quo. Indeed. So, what is the future for you? What are you looking to go towards, and you're looking to change? So, I think that one of the big parts of my why, really, particularly with the Rebel Inspire SME stuff. Um, and I was asked this actually, funnily enough, by um, a coach um, and also a very, very deeply intuitive coach that I employ on a regular basis. Um, she said to me, why, you know, why are you doing this Rebel Inspire thing? What is the big why? And I kind of sat there and this stuff came out that I really didn't expect. And that was that what I really would love to be part of, what I'd love to witness in my lifetime is a tipping of the scales Um, when it comes to the big corporate beasts versus those beautiful, small, independent companies that are just, you know, really um, pushing the envelope. That I want, though, I want the big corporates to look at the smaller organisations and say, hey, look at what they're doing. We need to be more like them rather than the small businesses aspiring to be sucked into the corporate vortex or the corporate sludge as I call it I would love those tables to turn for that for those beautiful small businesses to be the aspiration and while I you know I talk about scaling and growing a lot but actually I also think we live in a world where we live in an economic model where we're having to get bigger and expand and consume more and be you know when, when we're talking about scaling and growing, for me, that isn't always about revenue, number of people, um, market share, etc. It's sometimes about growing the contribution that you make to the world. And in fact, that's probably more at the heart of it for me. Growing the value you add to the world 
um, in a way that is desperately needed on our planet right now, that potentially some of the corporate animals aren't understanding except from a, a social, you know, corporate social responsibility perspective. Yeah, some of them are, they're doing things, but it's purely because it's to be seen to be doing it. Yes, yeah. They don't actually do you think care. there's a lot of good intention in there, you know, with the individuals that are involved in some of those those um, activities? Um, but I do, I also think consumers are starting to question whether that, the authenticity is there on the whole with those entities and whether they're doing business in a way that, vibes with their own sense of morals and consciousness mm. we we do a, a marketing uh three-day marketing school at engage web where we we help businesses with their online and offline marketing and produce their marketing plans mm. and one of the things we go through during that is the mission vision and values of certain companies yeah and one of them uh and i'll name them is asda mm-hmm. and they've got this really saccharine fueled uh mission about reducing the the carbon footprint of people's shopping baskets by a certain date and you just know that isn't really what they care about it's just about putting that that image out there that that's what they want to be seen to be doing and what is that date 2099 or something it was far out i i think it was 20s 30 2035 something like that so yeah it, it wasn't too far out but it, it it's still far enough mm. it's you know it's the, it's it's just, just a false promise it, they're doing that because they want to be seen to be doing it they're not actually doing it because they care mm-hmm. because if they did they'd stop trying to grow their stores and their footfall and all of that and they would absolutely concentrate on making what they've already got really mm. blooming good for the world yeah yeah if they wanted to do it they could do it mm-hmm. and they could do it like that yeah but they're not of course they could so yeah bastards anyway. <laughs> <laughs> is there a particular type of client you would like to work with possibly even a specific client i don't know um i haven't got any sort of specific people in mind um i like I would like to work with more companies who create something that is that has got real intention around it in terms of this contribution to the planet, how we live more consciously. Um, those, you know, those those kind of real innovative organisations that look at the world differently, that spot an opportunity for us to improve as a human race. You know, those kinds of companies, you know, I'd love to collect a good client base of those because I think there's a lot I can learn from that as well. Um, And that, you know, that would feel really, really good to me. All right. This is getting a bit joyous to me, a bit joyous. Let's bring it down a bit. What's the... (laughs) I always like to ask questions like this. What's what's the biggest mistake you've seen businesses or clients or people who don't want to work with you? What's the biggest mistake you've seen people make within their business? Again, confidentiality. You can't tell us who it yeah, is if it's a client of yours. What's Unless the you want to. Yeah. 
there was lots of tiny tiny little things like forgetting that you need to give your people clarity of direction and all of that stuff and thinking that you have and yet you haven't but probably the biggest one is going at your business growth like a bullet at a gate and dealing with all the practical things but forgetting that the people are the ones that really power that and Mm. are you know are the make or break really of your business and them getting trampled on in the process and expecting them to just be more resilient (laughs) (laughs) those of you on the podcast that was me doing air quotes um (laughs) uh yeah that kind of we just need to be more resilient we'll get there in the end attitude and that i mean that's a massive red flag to me somebody says to me come and give my people resilience training i'm like "Uh uh-huh Let's talk about where that's coming from. <laughs> or a similar one is time management. My my managers need to have better time management skills. Do they, though? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's always, that's always an interesting one. <laughs> well, where the leaders think that their team are the problem. Yes. When, in fact, yeah. it's the There's whole... There's an awful lot of come in and fix my people sort mm. of attitude and no... no no accommodation for coming and help me look at myself in the mirror, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's a common thing that comes up all other time. Mm. As, a, as a final point, as a final point, if somebody uh, listening to this wants to work with you, wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch? Well, I'm all over the joint when it comes to social media. <laughs> You can, of course, come and join the Rebels and Rule Breakers Facebook group. That's the consumer side of things. Um, I am down on Facebook as Emma Shaw, Chief Rebel. Um, I am prolific on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always, I'm actually, I think I'm down on LinkedIn as Emma M. Shaw. So M, the initial, which isn't actually my middle name, but there's a story behind that. Um, (laughs) um, So, and I'm always open to a brand new connection and I'm not fussy about having a message beforehand or anything like that. <laughs> the, the website, <laughs> which at the moment is rebelyellclub.com, but there's also rebelinspire.com coming out very soon. And I, I will put all of those links below the podcast. So on the video yeah. on YouTube, there'll be a link below there and below the description uh, on iTunes and Spotify, mm-hmm. there'll be a link below there. But I have to ask, why is it Emma M? <laughs> so um, it's what... Really, from a social media perspective, it's a way of just identifying me because there's a lot of Emma Shaw's out there. But the M comes from, so my middle name is actually Louise, which uh, I know doesn't make sense. But the M comes from both the shortened version of my name being M and also the fact it is the first letter of the word mouse, which is my family nickname (laughs) because... um, my my brother always says that I grew up, but my nose didn't, and so I looked like a mouse. And that uh, my auntie used to say that I looked like a dormouse when I was asleep. So that's what everyone calls me. Was that a compliment from your yeah, auntie? Yeah, apparently. It's a very cute thing, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But I tell you what, it's also a really good trick on LinkedIn to um, tell who's sending you an automated bot message and who's sending you a, a, uh, pers- a yeah, personalised one. They'll say MRM. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I learned that from my friend Stephen Whitton. Go look him up as well. He's a 
<laughs> that's, that's a great trick to end on. Great tip to end on. Um, thank you very much, MRM, for joining thank me on the you. podcast today. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. Love speaking to you and love seeing the dog in the background. Yeah, indeed. It's been well. great fun. Thank you, Darren. Oh, 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 oh,